It's an awesome privilege to be able to stand up here before you tonight. And I mean it's a privilege. I was thinking about that song. Think about His love. Think about His goodness. Think about His grace that's brought us through. Five or so years ago, this is the last place I thought I'd be. It really is. But thanks be to God for His grace. Thanks for His love. Thanks for His mercy, His goodness. And because of that, I'm here tonight. I don't know if that's good for y'all, but it's good for me. Praise God. This church is awesome. You guys have no idea what you mean to me. I hope I tell y'all often enough, but the way that y'all took us in and loved us, and we have these opportunities, I could never be thankful enough. And I just always want to thank God for you guys. Y'all are the best. You really are the best. Praise God. Well, I'm going to do my best tonight to teach for a little while or preach or whatever the Lord lays on on me. Um, But I want to take you to the word tonight. The book of Acts chapter 2 verses 36 through 38. He said, therefore, Peter saying, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified both Lord and Christ. And now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, and they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter said unto them, Y'all all know this, you can repeat it. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Praise God. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Praise God. It's a promise. Thank you, Jesus. God, I thank you so much for an opportunity to stand here before your children tonight, God. I know that these are yours, dear God, and I pray that you would anoint my mind, anoint my heart, anoint my lips, oh God, to speak to them. I pray tonight that you would change all of us, Lord. Help us to be better when we leave here tonight, Lord. To grasp something, dear God, from your word tonight. I know your word is already anointed, dear God. But I pray you would anoint me, dear God, to speak it. I pray for all this in the precious name of Jesus. We give you glory, O God. Thank you, Jesus. Can we clap for him? Praise God. Praise God. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. So tonight, my message is not anything, I promise you, what Pastor could bring to you. His wisdom is is much greater than mine. But I will bring you what I feel God gave to me. And I know he gave it to me because I got to study for weeks. And yesterday, about 10 minutes worth of message. And I spent a lot of time, my wife can tell you, and yesterday I got home and that just wasn't it. Because I was trying to review it, and it was not happening. And I was like, okay, God, I'm not this good. You're going to have to help me. So I believe he did. I really believe he did. And tonight, basically, I just want to remind everybody here, and if there's anybody here that's never experienced Acts, then I just want to tell you about that. And so I want to talk to you tonight about a better way. And there is a better way. 
Our God is awesome, and he always makes a better way, and he makes the best way. And so I just wanted to talk about salvation tonight. And there are some folks that I know and I care about deeply, which is part of what prompted this. They were attacked verbally. They were attacked on social media because they had made some decisions to change their life and live for God. That blows my mind, especially since they were attacked by people that claim to love them. And I do believe they love them, but I believe they're ignorant. And I don't mean that in a mean sense. I just don't think they understand the love of God and the power of God. I don't think they understand what God is trying to do in men's hearts today. And sometimes well-meaning people, they just hurt people. And I have found this out in my life that hurting people hurt people. And it's not good to keep company with hurting people. It's good to pray for hurting people and to love them. But keeping company with them, that old saying, misery loves company, it'll come to pass, I promise you. So my advice is always to love them regardless. But don't keep company with them and pray for them if they can't be nice. And I know all about sometimes not being able to be nice. I've had my share, but thank God for a good wife. And she'll probably knock me out, but that's okay. I always tell her, I joke with her. Most people say, what would Jesus do? I always say, what would Bobby do? Because I've never seen anybody with the patience and the long-suffering that she has. But God, God is just good. And the other thing I wanted to get across tonight is that I, me, and I hope all of you, I just have a strong burden to teach God's word. I think that's the most awesome thing we could do to repay God for what he's done for us. And I just love to do it mainly because when I teach, in order to teach, I've got to learn something. And a lot of times that's the only way I'm going to study is if I know I have to teach. And so I'm challenged. I'm challenged because I don't want to bore people to tears and I don't want to say the same thing over and over. It challenges me to, to learn. And I love learning about God. And the way you do that is you just dive off into his word. And I thank God that I've been able through means and, and through gifts and whatever ways to buy books. I love books. I, I can't get enough books. I don't read all my books, but I got a book. I promise you, if it deals with something, I got a book for it. But I always know I could go to that book. And dig through it and I can find something that will help me. And so anyways, that strong burden and that desire to teach is what's helped me to get through a lot of obstacles in my life. A lot of times I think I'm, I'm studying a message for somebody else. And the whole time it's talking to me. And the next thing I know, I'm under some serious conviction. And I'm on my face asking God to please forgive me because he's revealed something to me. That I wasn't even aware I was doing. And I thank God for that. Praise God for that. And so always remember, and I'm saying this because we're about to endeavor. We're going into a huge endeavor. Whatever God wills for that building across the right way over there. That's going to be a big endeavor for this church. And it shouldn't be all on pastor's hands. And it shouldn't be all on brother Landon's hands to handle that. God has raised every one of us up. And he's going to continue to raise us up. He needs teachers. And I feel like every one of us, we're okay and we're called to teach. The last thing Jesus commanded the apostles, the Great Commission, he said, go and teach. So that's the most basic thing we can do is teach. I promise you, you don't have to go to Bible school. You don't have to be a scholar. You just got to teach. It's not hard. And so I'm praying tonight that as we go through this, that I can kind of 
stir up some things in each of us and stir up some things in you, stir up in me that desire to teach. Because more than anything, I want to see the kingdom of God grow. And the way it's going to grow is if we all get involved. We've all got a part to play and there's all or there's something we can all do. And so we just need to do it. Just have faith, rise up and go teach. I promise you, God will bless you. He's just faithful like that. And so anyways, while I was studying this, this this whole message, this better way in this this book of Acts experience, it reminded me this. I don't read philosophy, trust me, but I ran across one a long time ago, and it's it's just kind of stuck with me. It's the allegory of the cave. Most of you smart people have probably read it, but I'm not one of those smart people before I've ran across it. And it was written about 400 B.C., written a long time ago. But the allegory of the cave, if you've never ever read it or you've never seen it, it deals with a question. And the question's simple. What's real? And in the world we live in today, what is real? People are confused. People are hurting. They need teachers. And that's what we've been called to do. The allegory of the cave, it deals with a cave, just a dark cave, no natural light in that cave. The only light that was in that cave was the light of a fire. The fire was set up behind a wall, right? So there were people, there were prisoners on the front side of this wall, and all they could do is face that wall. They were changed or face the wall in front of them because they were chained to the wall behind them. And across this wall, people would walk and they would carry things or walk an animal across. They would never know what real was because they never saw real. The only thing they ever saw was a shadow of whatever passed behind them. And that I started thinking about that and it it crushed me on the inside. Because in a world of seven billion people, how is it that there are so few apostolics? They're just seeing shadows. They're listening to the voices, but they're not hearing the voice. They're not hearing the one that can save their souls. And that cave, though, it goes on to say that one of the prisoners would be released. And when he was released, he would go out and he would actually see the real light. He would see a real horse or a real cow or a real person or a real whatever. He was, wow, what is this? He couldn't grasp it. It was reality. Well, when it finally started to sink in, he would do like many of us would do. He would run back to those that he was chained up with, those that were bound with him, and tell them about, hey, man, I found it. I found it. It's out here. It's real. you got to get loose from these chains. And in his, his teachings, he'd say he would sit there and wear himself out trying to convince them that there was reality but they had already convinced their mind in their minds what they were seeing was reality and they would end up killing him. Spiritually, he would just die because he gave up and then he ended up giving up on himself. So you can't do that. You have to just find what's thing real. The only thing real in this life, the life to come is Jesus Christ. He is the only thing real. And we've got to get this message out to everybody. And so the book of Acts and what happened here. If we go back and look at what was actually taking place then. So the Jewish people, they were all gathered uh, during this time for the for the Feast of Pentecost. And so there was obviously a lot of activity in the city. And if you stop and think, the crucifixion had only happened about two months before this event took place. 
And so a lot of the people that were at the crucifixion were probably still in Jerusalem whenever this, this, this outpouring of the Spirit happened and this was all noised abroad in the streets. And so certainly during that time, there had to be some fear and there had to be some confusion that was stirred up and people asking what in the world's going on. And it happens just like that in the world today. Whenever there's a, a, a mighty act of God or something happens or they walk into the house of God or we get excited and start telling them, it's the same thing we hear. You're just drunk, man. Get out of my face. What, what's wrong with you? Right? And that's the same thing that they were seeing at that time. But one thing they could not deny is that the languages that they were hearing were not their own or the the understand the words that were being spoken in tongues were from their native languages that no one else should have known. But yet they were praising God in a language that they didn't know before. And with all of that, they got confused and then they got scared. And then they started to realize we've messed up. Preacher Peter had just preached a message to all of these telling them that this Jesus whom they had crucified was both Lord and Christ. And by doing so, they finally realized that, holy good, we have killed our Messiah. And so that fear that gripped their hearts, I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine to know that you were actually there and a part of it. And if you think about Peter even, Peter, how did he get over that fear of just two months ago, watching the one he had walked with for some three and a half years be crucified and then denying him. I don't know how he did it other than the Holy Ghost. When he was filled with the Holy Ghost, God gave him a boldness to go in and preach and to teach. Peter had to have a hard time forgiving himself. He had denied the Lord, but yet Peter was the guy that stood up on the day of Pentecost and he preached this message. And because of this message, there were 3,000 added to the church, and then there were 5,000 added to the church, all because God spoke to Peter, and Peter got a hold of that boldness. He went on and taught. He didn't think he could do anything, but he taught. And I'm telling you, you can teach, and I can teach. And we got to remember that God is good. He's always good. More than anything, what Peter was dealing with within himself was condemnation. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. Jesus came to save the world, right? And we got to get a hold of that concept. Don't beat yourself up. God, can, he convicts us. He does not condemn us. If we mess up, God will convict us. I've told young people this when we teach in our Bible study. I've told them this so many times because I don't want them to forget it. They go through trials every day. Young people go through things I can't even imagine. And they feel so much condemnation. And you have to remind them constantly, so what? You messed up. Ask God. He forgives you. Right? This condemnation is not of God. That's of the enemy. God's simply going to tell you, you sinned, you messed up, repent. It's that simple with God. And he forgives as soon as you do. But if there's a nagging voice on your shoulders telling you you're no good and you'll never amount to anything, that's the enemy. That's condemnation. That is not God. You rebuke that spirit. Turn around, face God, tell him, I love you and I'm so sorry I sinned. And he will carry you on to another day. And so once they realize that they had crucified their Messiah. They were pricked in their hearts. I love this. The more I read and dug into this phrase, this phrase actually means that they were stabbed. They were literally stabbed or they were cut in their hearts. 
to the point that it made them cry out. Once they realized what they had done, it was brutal what they felt on the inside. The conviction they felt was absolutely brutal. And they cried out, I'm a sinner. What am I going to do? It's the same feeling that still affects the sinner today. When they come to God, when they come into the house of God, or when they're taught by you, and they hear the word of God preached and taught, that same thing happens. They begin to realize, I put him on that cross. Even though it was 2,000 years ago, he looked into the future and he saw me. He saw me. And he knew I was going to mess up. But he knew that I would come to repentance if he would die for me. If I would just obey him. He knew. Because he's just good like that. And so when that when a person finally gets a hold of that conviction, they just fall out. And they cry out to God. And that's where the church needs to be there. We need to be there prayed up. Studied up, fasted up, and ready to pray for them. That's our job. That's what we need to do. And so he actually loved us despite knowing us. And so, and whether you realize it or not, I hear people say this all the time. I don't have no faith. Well, sure you have faith. If you come to church, you have faith. What what else would bring you to church besides faith? How are you going to believe And a guy from 2,000 years ago you never met that walked to a cross and died for you for sins that he didn't commit, you have to be nuts. You're not nuts. You believe the word of God because God drew you, and that's faith. You have to have faith to believe that. So never discount what God's given you. You have faith. The Bible said that God has given a measure of faith to every man. So stand on that faith. Work through that faith. Pray for more faith, and God will bless you with it. And so, pardon me, it is this feeling of conviction that will lead to true repentance. Not the, oh, Jesus, you know, now lay me down to sleep for my soul to keep or whatever, forgive my sins today. That's not what I'm talking about. True repentance is a dying out. It's where we die. We literally die to our flesh. It's where we realize that I'm a sinner. I am a sinner. And I'm lost. And I need a savior. And then finally the question will come. What do I do about all this? What do I do? And that was Peter's message. He challenged them to understand that they were guilty. And then the Holy Ghost. It had already started convicting them to actually hear. And to respond to what he was preaching. So it had it not been for the Holy Ghost drawing those men, first off, they would have never accepted the fact that that was actually their Messiah that they had they had crucified. But Jesus had already drawn them. He was already convicting them. And then they were introduced through Peter's preaching to what Jesus had explained to Nicodemus. And I read this. You have probably seen this before. But it, it just stumped me yesterday. I, w- I was just blown away by it. When Nicodemus came to Jesus, we all know he came at night. He was a ruler of the Jews. And he snuck to Jesus because he didn't want to be put out of the synagogue. And he tried to spark up a conversation with Jesus. And he said, what's going on here? I know you're a, a, a mighty man of God. I know that you couldn't do these things that you do except God be with you. And Jesus, this is the part that I never saw before. He just cut him off. He stopped him. And he just said, you must be born again or you can't see the kingdom. He just cut him off cold turkey. Nicodemus mid-sentence and Jesus just said, stop all that. What's important is you must be born again. 
That was very important to Jesus, apparently. Because here's a guy coming to him, telling him how great he was, wanting to give him accolades. He wasn't interested. He was interested in that man. And so he stopped him and he just said, you must be born again or you can't see the kingdom. There were no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It was very plain. It was very direct. You have to be born again. No matter what anybody says, you have to be born again. And so by not mentioning words or any of that, he told him what he needed to do. He had to be born of the water and of the spirit. And so why why did God choose this message of Acts 2.38? Basically, and the more you study it, the more you understand. This message is actually, it's the introduction to this new life or the new covenant that's talked about in the Bible. There's the old covenant. There's the new covenant. This is the introduction to the new covenant. It is the only way to enter into the kingdom. You have to understand that you have to be born of the water and of the spirit. It's the only way you'll get in. And when Peter preached this, he had to have gotten excited because I think he finally understood what those keys were that Jesus had given him before when he says, thou art Peter and upon this rock, I'll build this church. And he said, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. Peter, basically that day, he took those keys. He took that anointing, that message. He preached that. And those keys opened up the new Testament. They opened up the new covenant. That's where it all started at that point. 3,000 souls were added to the new covenant. It all started right there. Peter opened that door by faith. He would have never preached this message had it not been for God's goodness and convicting him and drawing him. But a man who had failed and denied the Lord had suddenly figured out what these keys were that Jesus had given him. And he opened up and he brought the church in into a new dispensation, into a new life. And it's for us. Praise God. And so... Through this open access we have now, we got to remember the veil was rent. In the Old Testament, the only people that could go into the holiest was the high priest of that year. He was the only one that could go in there. And he better have himself together before he went in there. He wasn't coming out. And so we didn't have access to that. But once that veil was rent and Jesus had died and was crucified and he rose again and Peter preached this message... Those keys open up that door. We now have access to the holies, to the holiest of all. And not only do we have access to our Savior, He takes the time to come and dwell within us. We're a blessed people just to know that God is that good. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. And so there are no choices. We have to serve Him. And I want us to, I just want us to get excited about Him. And I want us to teach about Him. There's a world, I keep saying it, that is lost and dying and going to hell. Whether they believe it or not, there is a hell. Hell is real. And I'm not trying to be negative up here. I promise you that. But that's real. And so I want us to get a hold of what we got. We've got these same keys that Peter's sharing this message with the world. We've got the same truth. We have the same message. We need to be sharing this message with the world. That is what we were called to do. That is why God gave it to us. And so... uh this new, this new message, this new life, or this new covenant, it is the instructions, and I love this, of how to obtain this new life, which is to repent and to be baptized, number two. And then finally, it reveals the means of how we will be able to sustain this new life. 
And that's through the Holy Ghost, which is God in us, giving us strength. Right? The hope of glory. Without Him, we wouldn't be able to sustain this life. And that's why so many come and then they fall away. Because they don't actually get Him to the point they need Him. They get on that shallow soil or the, the rocky soil. They don't get planted into the good soil. And the only way you're going to get into that good soil is to get with Him. And that's where you get good. So reading in Colossians about the new covenant, Colossians puts it like this. Beware lest any man spoil you or take you captive through philosophy or vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of this world and not after Christ. For in him, in Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and we are complete in him. So in other words, we don't need anything else. We just need Jesus. That's all we need is Jesus. Which is the head of all principality and power. So no matter what's out there in this world, whatever principality, power, ruler of darkness, enemy, demon, devil, whatever person, Jesus is over all of them. You have him. That's what matters. Greater is he that is in you than he that's out there stirring up trouble. So in whom also, and this is the new covenant part, you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism, very important, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. At that point, you identify with him. At that point, the circumcision happens. It's a spiritual circumcision. And you, being dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, that was our old man before we went to that watery grave, hath he quickened or given new life when we were raised up together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses. He forgives you. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, trying, triumphing over them. That blotting out of the handwriting of ordinances against you, if you study that, is awesome. All of God's word is awesome. But apparently way back, way back in the Bible times, biblical times, when you had a mortgage or you owed a debt or you had a piece of property, they would actually hang a sign on that property that said, Dwayne, you owe me, John, $5,000. And it would stay there until you paid that off. That's kind of like, wow, really? So your business was out in the street, kind of like our sins was with him. But that blotting out of the handwriting of ordinances, those ordinances, when Jesus, when we get baptized, he basically, his blood, what they would do, that blotting out means when that debt was paid in full, full the guy you owed or whoever would take a sponge and they would go and they would blot out all that ordinance that was against you and you were out of debt at that point. You were free. Everything you did before us when we go down in that watery grave, he blots out all the ordinances. Everything you did before you came to him, it's all gone. He doesn't know about it anymore. Praise God. That's just how good he is. Praise God. And so this new covenant... Is how the church is now identified with God. It is done through the circumcision made without man's hands. No man has anything to do with it. No man can save us. 
Shaking a preacher's hand is not going to do it, contrary to popular belief in a lot of places. And reading or reciting a prayer, someone hands you won't do it. That's not going to save you. And I know, y'all, I'm preaching to the choir right now, but I'm trying to motivate and encourage to teach. This is how simple it is to teach. If I could teach this, you could teach this. And it needs to be taught because I promise you outside these walls, they don't understand this. They're believing that shaking the preacher's hand is going to get them there. They're believing that saying a sinner's prayer is going to get them there. That just breaks my heart. It blows my mind that people can fall for that. But it happens. There are millions of people that are deceived today. And so it is only done spiritually by Christ as we identify with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That is the only way we're going to be saved. It is the only way that we are a part of this new covenant. It is the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh. That scripture literally means it just strips away the sin. It just strips away the old man. It's no longer a part of you. It's gone. It's gone. You have to just forget about it. Your sins are forgiven. Your past sins are forgiven. Don't ever think that you're not going to struggle with sin because you are. I think every one of you know that as well as I do. Tomorrow morning, there's one thing I can count on. I'm going to get up and I am going to pray and I'm going to ask God to help me to not sin. And I believe he's going to help me to not sin as much because I get in the way a lot of times. If I could let him totally 100% lead me, I wouldn't sin, but I'm human. I still have flesh, so I'm going to mess up. But you have to just accept that we're going to sin. The trick is to repent of those sins, and God will forgive you. And I, one thing I see people do, and I pray that you guys are smarter than that. Please don't take that offensively. I didn't mean that. I know you guys are smarter than this, but I see people do it out of ignorance all the time when they're witnessing People will start, man, when I was in the world, I was out doing this, and I was doing this, and I was doing this. And then we feel like, oh, yeah, well, when I was in the world, I was doing this, and I was doing it. And we got to top their story. That is not healthy. That's very unhealthy. Next thing you know, you're living back in your past again. God forgot all about that mess. I don't want to remind him of any of it. I don't need to tell a person how bad I actually was. I was bad. Bad is bad. There's no levels. I'm just bad. Right? So I don't need to remind myself or God of everything I did before he forgave me. And so be very careful when we're when you're witnessing to people. Don't get into that. Sometimes you got to shut that down. I, I appreciate where you came from. And, and that's awesome that God's delivered you from that. But let me tell you about Jesus. And one thing I found out, the more I read about Paul, they would come against him. They would accuse him. They would try to trick him up. They would try to badmouth. They would try to infiltrate his church or the churches that he had started. Paul never did go after him. He never did attack him. He never did that. All he ever did, if you read about Paul, is he built up Jesus. He lifted up Jesus. And if we'll ever learn that, get that in our hearts and get it in our minds, just lift up Jesus. We don't have to defend him. He can defend himself. He's awesome. He's he's God. He's all powerful, right? He owns everything. It's all his. We don't have to defend him. He's, he's very capable of defending Just lift him up. Tell everyone how great he is. And so, moving along, Colossians says it like this, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and he translated us. I love that word when I found out what that actually meant. Into the kingdom of his dear son. And so remember this phrase, he translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom ye have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Once again, everything, forgiveness is all referring back to the blood. The blood was applied at baptism. They can't deny that. 
We have to have that, that blood. Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible, invisible, whether they be thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers, all things created by him and for him. It's his. So I need to quit fighting it. It's his. I just need to lift him up. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning or the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all the fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things, whether they be in earth or in heaven. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable, unreprovable in his sight. If, that's that's a big word, if, Ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard and which was preached unto every creature which is under heaven, whereof Paul, I, Paul, and made a minister. And so we have been delivered from the power of darkness. We've been delivered from the power of darkness. It doesn't mean we can't mess up, but we have been delivered from its power. It does not have power over us. Nothing has power over me except for Jesus Christ. He has power over me. Praise God. And I can tell you, the only power the devil has is the power that we give him. And the way we give him power is by tearing down a brother, tearing down a sister, talking bad about our neighbor. That empowers the devil. We don't need to be taking part of that. I don't want him having no power. We got to love one another. And I'm not saying I've never done those things. Guilty. I am guilty. I know that. But I have to repent. I have to die daily, just like Paul said. But once we get that into our heads, we want to give him power, all power. It belongs to him. And so we've been delivered from those things through his, his sacrifice and what he did. And so we're not exempt from sin. It only, it has no power over us. We can still mess up and we must live our life of, of repentance daily. That's why Paul said, I die daily. As good a preacher and as powerful a man as Paul was, he had to still repent and die daily. He had to. I can't imagine what he dealt with daily. Good grief. I can't imagine. And so verse 23, like I said, that giant two-letter word, if. God's got all these promises here. And that's what the word here, the world hears is all the promises, but they miss that big old word in there. If. If you continue in the gospel. And if you continually repent. We have to live a holy life. We have to. It's, it's God's purpose. It's his desire. It is his commandment. We have to live holy. And we have to live according to the gospel. And this doctrine of once saved, always saved. Paul would have never used the word if, if this was true. He would have never said that. If wouldn't he be in the Bible if you could just automatically be saved? It makes no sense. And so a person cannot intentionally live in sin after they've been saved. Those are, that doesn't, that just doesn't make sense. You can't intentionally go sin. Those are intentional. There's a big difference between messing up and sinning. You do it intentionally, that's not a good thing, right? It it gets real hard to find forgiveness for those sins. But when we mess up, we confess it. Sometimes we got to go apologize to folks. And then we repent of it, and God forgives us, and we move on. And so, but a person being able to do that and that doctrine, that would just make God unjust. And so think about it, because I once repented, and I was baptized and filled with the Spirit, I am now exempt to do the things that the world does. 
I, I don't get that. And so this makes no sense. If anything, I am now more accountable for these sins than the person that never realized they were sinning. You got to let that sink in. I'm more accountable now than I was before. Too much is given, much is required, right? So anyways, he knows or he that knows to do good and does it not to him it is sin. And so remember, it was God that drew us away from sin in the first place. And so if he was okay with our former lifestyle, he'd have just left us out there. Sinning was okay, according to some. So why bother with this whole new birth thing if that was acceptable? And then the really interesting thing is, and I work around people, and I'm sure you do too, that they're all Christian. Everybody's a Christian. Everybody's saved. And they'll sit there and badmouth sinners. Man, that alcoholic over there, he's going to split hell wide open. That guy drinks too much. But he drinks. Or that that homosexual over there is going to split hell wide open, but you lied. Right? We can't judge people for a sin that the Bible talks about, and we're living in sin ourselves. We can't do that. God hates sin, but he loves that sinner. We have to be able to reach out to these folks. So that doctrine, it just drives me crazy. I'm sorry. I just had to get that off my chest tonight. Thank you for listening. But once saved, always saved just blows my mind. I don't understand how anyone could actually buy into that. I pray God they get the Holy Ghost or he starts drawing them just like he did the Jews the day that Peter preached that message and convicts them and they get away from that because that is a very damnable doctrine. I've had people walk out of my Bible studies and not come back because that's not what my preacher teaches. Well, you might ought to just check what the Bible says. I'm not telling you to go against your preacher, but read the book, right? And they go away. That just crosses them up and they can't get past that. It's very, very sad, and it it just hurts. And then, so once you realize all this, then here comes all these attacks, right? You start getting attacked when, when you start telling people, man, that's not right. And so I, I thought of this, and I'll share it with you because I always thought it was funny, is one of the things they used to say, they don't say it so much anymore because a lot of people are getting the Holy Ghost in other denominations because they figured out they can't shut God up. God's going to pour his spirit out where people are hungering and thirsting after righteousness because that's his promise. God's going to fulfill his promise. So it's not about UPC. It's not about Baptist. It's not about Method. It's about somebody that's hunger, thirsting after righteousness. They're going to be filled. And so if they walk into a denominal church, dead boring, whatever, and they lift their hands and say, God, I'm hungry for the Holy Ghost. I believe in the Holy Ghost. He's going to pour his spirit out because he has to. He's faithful to his word. He cannot lie, and God's going to do that. So anyways, used to, years ago, though, before all that started happening, we were in a cult. You ever heard that one? And that one blows my mind. I love this. So it's supposed to offend me, by the way, but obviously it's not. So I looked up the definition of a cult, and it's it's pretty awesome. I'm not talking about Jim Jones and all those things that people did followed, and it, it that stuff is just it blows my mind. But those were cults. We're one of those, I guess. But anyways, so one of the definitions it says it's a religious sect considered to be false. That fits us by the world standards. Unorthodox. I like that word. Or extremist. Now they're really preaching to me. With members often living outside the conventional society under the direction of a charismatic leader. Thank God for my pastor that preaches this truth. He is a charismatic leader. I love him. Praise God. 
And he follows a very charismatic leader who was anything but orthodox when he was on this earth. Jesus didn't put up with any of the nonsense the world was preaching back then. As a matter of fact, he walked into their temples and he disrupted them. He taught a message that none of them wanted to hear and ended up getting him crucified. If I'm in a cult, it sounds like I'm doing the same thing as Jesus did. I'm a part of that early church. That's what they sounded like. So I love my charismatic leader. He saved my soul. So living outside the mainstream, it really don't bother me. I kind of like my life. I, I, I Just like Pastor said the other day, I love what he said. I, I like knowing where I was the night before. I like wake, waking up feeling good in my right mind. I like that. It's awesome. It is really awesome. And I praise God that I'm here tonight and I could say that. Because had it not been for the grace of God, there go I. And I ain't going there no more. Pardon my English. And so... Jesus, being anything but being anything but orthodox, when he came to his religious world and his religious leaders, he kind of twisted everything up. And it made me think about when he went into the temple and they were buying and selling and doing all they were doing. He went in there, turned all them tables. Jesus got angry. He kind of ripped that place up. And so if he went into that temple, if you will, and did all of that, what makes me think that me, who claims to be the temple of the Holy Ghost, can allow that kind of nonsense in my life? Jesus is going to come in and reap havoc on me, or he's going to leave. I pray that he comes in and reaps havoc and helps me get that mess out. That's the conviction. I want to get that gone. But it's up to me to accept that and to move on and to improve and to do the things that God's called me to do. Praise God. So if someone tells you in a cult, you're in a cult. Tell them thank you. That's awesome. I, I'm glad I am because my Jesus is awesome. And I don't want to be orthodox. And I don't want to live like the world. I don't want to follow the mainstream. I don't care what they're doing. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be with y'all because y'all are God's kids. And these are the best people. This is where I want to be always. God's great. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so, praise God. I I told y'all to remember the phrase a while ago. And I'm, I'm hurrying. It's getting late. In verse 21, where it says, the, um, I just, uh, where he translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. So I got to reading this, and then I, I actually saw a video on it, and it kind of added to it. But the Romans, when Paul wrote this, he was in prison. What the Romans would do when they would capture prisoners from other countries, they wouldn't bring them by land to Rome. They would bring them through the water. They would bring them over the water. And the reason they did that is because when they got them to Rome or to whatever island or country they were taking them to, they wouldn't know how to get back. They could escape. They could turn around and try to get out. But they really didn't know where they were going. They were lost. Translated us into the kingdom. That being said, what Paul was saying there. He hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. When we went through that water, he took us to a place. Yeah, we can backslide. We can turn our backs on God. But I promise you, you'll never be the same once you've experienced this. You'll never be the same. He's not going to let you be the same. I know when I walked away from this, I was not the same. It's why I'm back here today. I couldn't be fine. I couldn't find peace. I was miserable. I was angry. But thanks be to God, I'm back here today. I wanted to get back to the other side of where that water was. 
I just thought that was a great analogy. I, I hope you did too. God is good, but so anyways, we could all stand. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be quiet here. Um, but I, I appreciate all y'all. I love y'all so much. And so just remember that this new covenant, this new covenant is the church. This new covenant, the epistles that they were written, they were written to the church. And that's where a lot of people get confused is they think the epistles, people are getting the Holy Ghost in the epistles. That's not true. People are only getting the Holy Ghost in the book of Acts. The churches were established because of the book of Acts. And then the epistles are letters that were written to the churches that were established in the book of Acts. These people already had the Holy Ghost. And so to quote a verse out of Romans and tell me if I'll continue to do this, I'm saved. I'm sorry. It says if you'll continue to do this, you shall be saved. That's a promise. But you're only going to get saved if you go through this water. If you get involved with this new covenant, if you turn your life over to him completely. And so remember, just like Corinthians said, and such were some of you. Such were. Were. We're done with that. That's the old life. We're in the new life. We're in the new covenant. Thank God for the new covenant. Thank God for a better way. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, I praise you, dear God. I praise you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you tonight. You are good and true and you are mighty and you are merciful. You are holy, O oh God. Oh, I stand before you, humble, dear God, that you have given us this opportunity tonight to come together in your name once again and to know who you are, Lord, to really know who you are. So many, God, they don't have this message. But I pray tonight that you would convict our hearts. I pray you would pr- just prick our hearts tonight, Lord. Stir up in us, O oh God. Lay some soul upon our hearts tonight that we would not rest, O God, until we have witnessed to someone. That we would not be able to find comfort, dear God, on a pillow until we have reached out to somebody. God, I pray that you would help us to see that the fields are wide already, dear Lord, for harvest. But the laborers are few, O God. God, help us to become the laborers you've called us to be. Let faith arise in every heart in this place tonight. Let everyone in here realize the potential they have that was given to them, O Lord, when they were filled with your spirit, O God. I pray for your anointing, O God, to come upon this house. I come against fear. I come against doubt. I come against unbelief. Destroy those yokes tonight, dear Lord, with your anointing. God, bless all of these, Jesus. You have equipped us, Lord. Help us to take this message and teach, O God, as you commissioned us to do. We're going to give you the glory for it, O God. For you are holy and we praise you tonight. Jesus, we praise you tonight. Can we lift our hands and just thank him one more time?